Amen. All right. Well, praise God. Welcome and uh, thank you for uh, tuning in tonight. Those of you who are watching online, and of course, we've got a great group uh, in the room and having a great conversation before um, we went live. So, uh, but anyway, glad that you are with us. Uh, I already had some folks reach out to me to say they're not going to be able to watch live tonight, but they'll be catching it later. And so, uh, you don't want to miss tonight's class. I think I said this two weeks ago that my favorite class would have been what class number 26 this year where we uh, do stick men theology or three dimensions of man. If I had a second favorite, this would probably be it tonight, what we're going to start tonight, understanding the new birth. I'll put that title slide back up. So it's class number 28. What in the world, man? <laughs> this year goes by. It has gone by so fast. It, it always has gone by fast, but this year and every year, I guess, it just seems to just zoom by. But we're already at class number 28, and uh, we're going to talk tonight about the new birth and understanding the new birth. We've got a few little things that we left hanging from last week that we're going to uh, go back and, and clean up and make sure we get all that covered. But for the most part tonight, we will be uh, digging into that extremely important subject. And um, I won't go too far down the road, but we still haven't prayed, but I've just met so many people uh, over the years who have already been born again, but they have no idea what happened to them when they were. They have no idea what it, what it really means to be saved, what it really means to be born again. And there are even some who think of it as a figurative experience, you know, like turning over a new leaf. Well, no, 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 no. The new birth is a literal experience. And once we understand you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body, it puts you in a position to better understand, more fully understand what happened to you the day you got saved. All right, so I'm excited about opening up the Word of God with you tonight, and, um, and let's uh, learn and see uh, some more about that. Amen. But let's pray first. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for all that you've given to us, all that you've done for us, all that you have prepared for us, Father, both in this life and in the one that is to come. Lord, thank you that uh, you <laughs> just always believe the best about us. You're so patient and kind and loving, and you've always believed the best about us, Father, no, no matter how hard we've tried to convince you otherwise. And Lord, we thank you for that kind of faithfulness. We thank you for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for your promise to not remember our sins against us or hold them over us, Lord, any longer. And Father, it's just good to be one of your sons and daughters in the earth. And I ask, Father, for the Holy Spirit to help us once again tonight. I thank you that he's with us. He's present in this room. He's present in those that are watching and listening. And Lord, I thank you that he's coming alongside now to help us connect with eternal truth, Lord, for our daily lives. And we believe you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. All right, let's just do uh, a quick review. We'll put the uh, stick men back up. Um, and, of course, uh, without you know, elaborating further. And, by the way, if, this is, if you're watching online and this is your first class, you might want to back up a couple of classes and, and then make another run at it because we explained this drawing uh, in uh, great detail. But we see uh, spirit, soul, and body and the... Um, the pneuma, the suche, and the bios, or the, I'm sorry, the pneuma, the suche, and the soma. And then we see bios, which is a biological existence, speaking of our flesh, our five senses, and our outward man. But then we also see the zoe, uh, as it's designated in the uh, arrows. 
and we said that arrow uh, is meant to uh, uh, communicate both connection and direction. So if you've been born again, the Bible says you've been made one spirit with God. You've been made one with Him. And the word zoe is the life and nature of God. And bios is speaking of a biological existence. And so Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, to a group of people who are biologically alive, I have come to give you life and I've come to give it to you more abundantly. And he wasn't talking about bios. They already had bios. He literally said, I've come to give you zoe and I've come to give it to you in overflowing abundance. And that zoe, that word means the life and nature of God. Now, I keep emphasizing that. And you'll see why as we work our way through, because the Bible is going to talk about this transformation that's taken place at the very nature level of our existence. And by nature, by the way, I don't, I don't mean mother nature, okay? I'm talking about the nature of a thing, the nature of a person, all right? And so um, anyway, let me put that back over on the, uh, on the slide. So, so we like to say it this way, just I say it over and over again because I really want the Holy Spirit to help you begin to think and, and operate and live uh, from this understanding. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Your spirit is the real you. That's the part of you that will live forever or die forever somewhere. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. It's your mind, emotions, and will. As I already mentioned, your flesh is, um, your body is your flesh, your five senses, or the Bible also refers to it as your outward man, outward man. We see outward man used in the scriptures. I think we looked at these last week, some of these verses inward man, but then the inward man is also comprised of your innermost being. So you've got the outward man, the inward man, then the inward man has the innermost being, which you guessed last week is, of course, your spirit. Amen. Now, we looked at this verse. I think this was the last verse we looked at last week, and so we'll start here this week. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as thy soul, even as your soul prospereth. So once we understand the flow, remember um, you were created to live uh, from the inside out as the, uh, as the arrows uh, are communicating here. Uh, and so the life and nature of God flowing from God through a spiritual union that, that we have with him into your born-again spirit, then from your born-again spirit through your soul and outward into your body and then out of your body into the world around you. You'll lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That's what Jesus was referring to, uh, this um, whole layout and flow of the life and nature of God that we are now connected with eternally. Praise God. But notice he says that our ability to prosper and be in health outwardly as born-again believers is directly connected to and dependent upon our uh, health and prosperity in, in our soulish realm, in that soulish dimension um, of our existence and of our being. And we'll build on that more when we get to the part about the renewing of the mind. Now, created in God's image, we didn't get to this part, so this is new stuff, okay? Created in God's image, remember we said that God said, let us make man in our image, us and our, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three yet one, one yet three, he created you, three yet one, one yet three. And what we know about God is that they've never had a disagreement. 
they always agree, they always operate in harmony, they always defer to one another, and, and there's, this, there's this beautiful synchronization that exists within the Godhead. And we know that we had that same synchronization uh, when we were originally created. So created in God's image, the triune man, the three yet one man, functioned seamlessly as one. Functioned seamlessly as one. It's hard for us to comprehend what life like, like that was because we've never lived under those conditions. Adam and Eve did, and there's coming a day when we will. But currently, we live in a situation where our feelings are trying to rule us, our flesh is trying to rule us, our spirit and our flesh don't even speak the same language, they're at odds with one another, they're opposed to one another. And, and so when we say created in God's image, the triune man functions seamlessly as one, we, we then see that sin ruined the seamless and harmonious function of the triune man. Are you, are you, are you seeing what I'm saying here? See, we, we think it's normal for our feelings to try to rule us. Your, your feelings were never meant to rule you. They were meant to serve you. Your body and flesh was never meant to rule you. It was meant to serve you. Amen. Who's you? Spirit's you, right? Amen. You see what I'm saying, right? The real you. Um, not override, not try to cancel out, not try to, uh, you know, tamp down and, 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 and overrule and dominate. Never. Amen. And so sin is what brought this uh, chaos, I like that word, um, to uh, the triune man. As a matter of fact, here's the next slide. Sin brought death and chaos to the triune man. Sin brought death and chaos to the triune man. You understand what I'm saying? You know, sometimes even, and you hear, I know I'm not judging anybody, just sometimes you hear married couples say, you know, oh, we love to fight, we have to fight, a healthy relationship is fighting. Oh, no, don't disagree. I disagree completely with that. But amen, you, you do you before the Lord be led by the Spirit, okay? Um, because God's not a God of strife. He's not a God of... of, of uh, of that kind of uh, uh, enmity is the word we'll look at here in just a minute, okay? Um, but certainly that never exists. You know, Jesus and, and the Father never, you know, just had to get some things off their chest with one another and work through it, you know. It's, it's never happened. It's because that's not who they are. It's not their nature. And, um, and so, you know, again, sin is what brought the death and the chaos to the triune man. And so... <clears throat> I'm going to go back. I know, again, I think we asked last week, and I'm not sure anybody was here for the earlier classes, but these are words that we used um, in the beginning classes, and I'll you know, redefine them and, and, and talk about them here for just a moment. But two things you need to be aware of. First of all, sin caused enmity between God and man. So you notice I got like between emphasized there in all caps. Sin caused enmity between God and man. What is enmity? It, it rhymes with enemy, but I'm not saying enemy. Uh, the word is enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y, enmity. And enmity is a word, it's a Bible word, New Testament Bible word, and, and it simply means uh, a disagreement, okay? It, it, it's the opposite of harmony. It's the opposite of, um, of communion and union and fellowship. And so... Enmity, though, can be anything from a difference of opinions 
you say tomato, I say tomato, all the way up to violent, murderous hatred. So there's a, there's a spectrum, if you will, a, a, a scale, if you will, of, of enmity. Now, I mean, we're going to rewind the tape all the way back like to maybe class three. But God is a God of reconciliation. These are, these are other words that we're going to uh, bring back you know, up now as we are coming down the home stretch of our time together. And reconciliation is the removal of enmity. So when we say sin caused enmity between God and man, it, it, it brought separation, it brought division. We could say it this way, we, we were at odds with God. You, you ever heard that expression, somebody's at odds with one another, they're, they're, they're in opposition to one another. Well, listen, God never was opposed to you. We, we put ourselves in opposition to him. And the angels sang when the night Jesus was born, peace on earth. My, my brother said something one time, and it, I don't know if I've ever seen it on a Christmas card, but he said that means God was willing to bury the hatchet. You ever heard that expression, bury the hatchet? In other words, he, God was willing to not just let bygones be bygones. He was willing to pay the price and the penalty so that those bygones, so that those, uh, that enmity uh, and the root of it could be taken out from in between any person who called upon the name of Jesus to be saved. Uh, and, and, and so it's, it's a beautiful thing. So sin caused enmity between God and man. This is why, I know I say it over and over, and I hope you don't ever tire me saying it. This is why the best advice you could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Any disagreement of any kind that you have with God is enmity. And the, and the Bible says, like, for example, the carnal mind is enmity against God, and to be carnally minded is death. What's the first thing I want you to think of when you hear the word death? Separation, right? So it doesn't, I mean, you can, you know... To think like the world instead of like someone who's been born again, it can cause your life to end prematurely. But when you hear carnally minded is death, to be carnally minded is death, that means to be born again and to think like someone who is not is going to separate you from all the benefits and blessings and provisions of your salvation in, in a practical sense. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Don't make that abundantly clear. It doesn't mean you're not saved. But what it does mean is you're living like an outsider when you're an insider. You're living like a stranger when you're a son or a daughter. You're living like someone who doesn't know God, who has God living inside of them, all because of the carnal mind. And again, we will, we will get to that when we get to the section on the renewing of the mind, the reconditioning of the mind. But I'm just trying to introduce some of these words to you that, that may be kind of new to you. And so what is this word enmity? You know, what does it mean? It, it, it means a disagreement, and that could be, again, anything from... God says you're righteous and you say you're not. God says you're free and you say you're not. That's enmity. You're disagreeing with him. And, and if, it's, if, if it's you and another person disagreeing, there's a pretty good chance that you're partly right and they're partly right or they could be right and you could be wrong. When it comes to you disagreeing with God, just go ahead and cut to the chase, okay? He's always right. He's never been wrong, never will be wrong, okay? So just, just agree with him and ask him to show you and help you. Amen. So sin, again, caused enmity between God and man. That's very important. But Jesus took that enmity away through his death, burial, resurrection, uh, through his completed work on the cross. But there's another leg to this, and that is that sin also caused enmity within man. It, it caused enmity within us. All right? And so you'll recognize this drawing, but we've, of course, added something to it here. Notice now, 
And, and, and this would be like someone who's never been born again. Because you notice that the, the life and nature of God is flowing from God in mankind's direction. But enmity has blocked it. Enmity has cut it off. Enmity has prevented it from, from flowing from God into uh, a, a man or a woman uh, via a spiritual connection uh, with God. Uh, remember, we were spiritually dead. That doesn't mean spiritually non-existent. To be spiritually dead, like your cell phone would be dead if it lost the juice or if it lost the signal. And in our case, it was both. We, we, we lost the juice and the signal, all right? Um, and so Jesus came to remove the enmity uh, between God and man so that the, the life and nature could flow. That's why he took your, your old spirit and buried it in an unmarked grave and put a new spirit in you, all right? But then we also see, as, as it's represented in this particular uh, drawing, is this enmity, enmity that exists. Uh, and notice we kind of overlaid it in the gap between spirit and soul, and then we overlaid it in the gap between soul and body. And so it's this enmity that is within us, this enmity that is within us, that has to be uh, removed. Now, as we work our way through a greater understanding of our salvation, what we're going to see is that the enmity between God and man is instantly and eternally removed, okay, the moment a person is born again. It's instant, all right? It's a past-completed work if you have been saved. But the same Bible that says you have been saved also speaks of your salvation as an ongoing progressive work, or being saved, okay? So we know that the have been saved is our spirit. Our being saved is referring to a work in progress in our mind, will, and emotions. And then our completed salvation will be when our mortal body becomes glorified and immortal. Okay? All right? So I said all that to say that removal of the enmity that's within a person is, is focused on the thinking, the soul. Right? So we have this, we have this imprint left from our old person. Right? I call it residue. Where we still think like somebody who's not saved. Uh, even though we have been. I'm getting way, way ahead of myself, but that's okay. I'm, I'm going to come back to this. But let me put this up here real, real quick. Like Maybe this will help you see some of this. All right. So spirit, soul, and body. All right. What part of you has been born again? Your spirit. You see, I, I know this maybe makes some folks you know, look funny or a little uncomfortable, but as a born-again man or woman, you have the same body as someone who's never been born again. You have the same flesh as someone who's never been born again. Now, we are certainly at an advantage because with, the, with God's Spirit inside of us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and with His wisdom inside of us, we are in a much better position to keep our body from ruling us. Remember what uh, the Apostle Paul said, speaking of his flesh in the, in the third person. He said, I will not let it rule me. Let's, let's make sure we do this, okay, right? He said, I will not let it rule me, right? I will not let it rule me. <coughs> Are you seeing this? See, he understood that his flesh was not, was not him. It was, the, it was the, the hint. It was the house or the tent, amen, that he lives in here on this earth. Oh, man, this is so important. My goodness, thank you, Lord, for helping us, Jesus. Amen. All right, so, but your flesh hasn't been born again. The, 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 your salvation will be complete when your mortal body 
becomes a glorified body just like the one Jesus is in right now. And man, what a day that's going to be. Praise God. All right? And so your soul, and we looked last week at the different verses that speak to the saving of the soul, but the saving of the soul and salvation coming to the soul is not the same thing as your spirit being born again or when your spirit receives, you know, is saved uh, and becomes a new creation. So your soul hasn't been born again. It is an ongoing work in progress, also known as the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. Amen. So you can be a born-again person and think like someone who's never been born again and will pretty much still live like someone who's never been born again, even though you have been born again. Right? Amen. Does that help? All right. So we've got... Um, <clears throat> let's do this. And there's... Just some key things here that, and some of this is baseline. I, what I, you know, I talk about the basic life understanding. And when we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, we see that big picture stuff. Let me see if I can say it this way. This is related, but not necessarily directly related. I like, to, I like for things to kind of be, you know, seamlessly woven together as we progress through these classes. But there's just somewhere in here that I need to get this said, and this is as good a place as any, okay? All right, so amen. Um, when Adam and Eve uh, were in the garden before they sinned, um, they were what I call God conscious. Uh, and for the word conscious, you could say aware. There's a slight difference between what it means to be conscious and what it means to be aware. But, but they, were, they were God conscious, and they were God conscious only. I know, I know that, again, we've, we've never lived like that, and so it's hard for us to comprehend. But let the Holy Spirit help you. And I, I want you to imagine that in the garden before they sinned, all that they understood about life and living and their future and one another and provision, there was no worries. There, they, they didn't, they didn't, there was no fear. There, there was no negative emotions, right? Because everything that they knew and understood about uh, themselves, about life, about what life is about, and so forth and so on. Every bit of that information, God was, they were God conscious, and he, he, wa he alone was the source of everything that they knew and understood. Okay? Remember, we've, we have said this part now many times, and, and that is, you know, when God comes and finds them hiding after they sinned, and, and he, uh, he tells God, Adam tells God, that he hid himself from God because he was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? That's a, that's a pivotal moment being pointed out to us by God in, in the history of humankind on this planet. Because what he's saying is, for the first time in, in the history of humankind on this planet, these pe people, human beings, have a thought in their heart about themselves that did not come from God. And there was what God is. God knew who told him. It wasn't that God was like trying to, you know, do some investigating here to try to figure out what happened. He knew. He's asking those questions for their benefit and for our benefit. And what he's pointing out is that now, what's the difference? Why is he hiding from God? Why is he hiding from his wife? Why, why, why all this fear? Why, why is he responding this way? Right? It's because he now has thoughts in his heart about himself, about God, about his wife, about the future that didn't come from God, that didn't originate from God. This is huge. So what happens now is he went from being God-conscious only to being both God-conscious 
and sin conscious. When Adam became sin conscious, he didn't go, God who? You know, no, he, still, he was still extremely conscious of God, still very aware of God. But at the same time now, he was also aware of his sin. This is why he went and hid from God. His awareness of God and his awareness of his sin is what caused him to go and hide from God. Amen? Now, so he went from God conscious only now to both God conscious and sin conscious. And then after having become sin conscious, he immediately became, and here's the big one, and I just messed it up. Let me get it right here. He immediately became self-conscious. Oh. I'm sure nobody in this room has ever dealt with being self-conscious, but maybe you know somebody. Okay, no, self-conscious, right? Now he's like, everybody's looking at me. Yes, blah, 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 you know. Uh, all right, okay, now, when he became self-conscious, he did not lose his consciousness of his sin, nor did he lose his consciousness of God. So he went from only being God-conscious, only being aware of God, now he's aware of God, he's aware of his sin, and he's aware of himself. Now, do you see why we say chaos and death came to the triune man when they sinned? All right? Now, let's, let's follow this on out. And, and this is um, maybe uh, kind of dramatic, all right? But I'll put it up on the screen. With each passing generation, mankind has become more and more sin and self-conscious and less and less God-conscious. Right? Trying to help you see what's going on again. Remember we said this is big picture stuff. So Adam and Eve went from only being aware of God to being aware of God and their sin, and to being aware of God, their sin, and themselves. But then as time began to progress, in other words, as, as more and more generations came and, and went upon the earth, uh, arrived and departed from the earth, with each passing generation, man is, man is becoming more focused on himself and more focused and aware of his sin and less conscious and less aware of God until we come to the days of Noah. And this is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 about the days of Noah. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And of course, we, next we see that with the exception of Noah, and that Noah found grace, found favor in the sight of the Lord. I want you to think for a minute what he's saying here. That... Things had gotten so bad on planet Earth that with the exception of Noah, every thought, not most, every thought in every heart was only evil continually. See, we, we think the flood was judgment, and I guess it was, but if it was a mercy killing if it was anything, right? It was just like, how could God do that? Well... Humanity was basically lost. God, God repented. God's like, why did I even make man in the first place? You know, this, this thing has gone off the, off the tracks in a hurry here. Okay? But why is that? They went from only being aware of God to now they're aware of their sin. Now they're aware of self. And as their lives unfolded and as generation came and as generation left... Mankind became less and less aware of God and more and more aware of sin and self. Is that not exactly what we're dealing with in our world today? People are, are no longer aware of God, but they are very aware of self. And they're also, whether they want to admit it or not, and, and this is why you see this concerted effort to just say there's no such thing as sin. 
And you can tell people that all you want to tell them, but people know, people know, right, that this is not something we need to be doing. This is not because of the consequences, because of the emotions, because of the something called a conscience. And your conscience and your consciousness is not the same thing. They're related, but they're not the same thing. Okay, you still with me? Yes. Now, one last thing here, uh, and, and this is what I call connection lost. Okay, connection lost. And it's... It's pretty simple, all right? When we lost our spirit connection with God, we lost everything that spirit connection produced and supplied, leaving man to try and compensate for these things through inferior means. Okay? Through inferior means. Now, there are different lists of what I'm about to put up on the screen that people use and I've used longer ones over the years and shorter ones over the years, but I'm going to say probably for the last maybe 10, 15 years, this is the one that I've, I've stayed with. I can make a biblical case, not that I'm going to do that right now, but I can make a biblical case for every one of these. But when I say when we lost our spirit connection with God, we lost everything that spirit connection produced and supplied, leaving us to try and compensate for the things uh, through inferior means. I'm, I'm not just talking about like, food and, and, and that sort of thing. I, I'm talking about inward things, in, internal things, okay? Um, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that thought for just a second because I've been prompted now three times to, to do this. <clears throat> Remember, you were created to live from the inside out, which means um, from the heart uh, and the innermost being, the spirit, and then the, the soul, and the cardia, remember I explained to you that the cardia is the combination of spirit and soul. And your spirit already believes everything God's ever said. And ready to walk on water, ready to raise the dead. Um, amen. It's, it's, it's our souls are playing catch up with what God's already done in, in our born again spirit. But still, that's your heart, right? With the heart man uh, believeth. It's not just with the innermost being, but it's also the inward man or that part that, that, is, that is the soul. And so this is, we're supposed to live from that. We're supposed to live out of that. We're supposed to be led by God's Spirit. Remember, life is choice-driven, therefore it must be Spirit-led. All right? Well, when we lost our spirit connection with God and maintained a biological existence, this means we didn't stop living. We could still fog a mirror. But how do we live from a dead spirit? How, how, how do we live from a heart when the driving factor of that heart is, is dead and is, lo, is no longer connected with God? So what we've done is we've tried to substitute our brain for our heart. This is really important. I want you to see this. Because this is something that we're, we're still overcoming. Amen. Even the most spiritually mature among us, we, we deal with our brain trying to even override what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do in our hearts. And I know I'm not the only one that, 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 that deals with that. Okay, And so in, in the same way that uh, if someone loses one of their physical senses, we try to compensate, those, that, that individual will try to compensate by using one of their other senses. So, for example, if someone loses their ability to see, right, they learn to read with their sense of touch. Or if they lose their ability to hear, 
They learn to listen with their eyes or speak with sign language in, in, in their hands by reading lips. Or, and and it's, a, it's an amazing thing to, to see how we do that and how people do that and adapt to these things. So if you can understand that uh, propensity that, um, di- you know, we're predisposed to try to compensate. If we lose one thing, we try to put something in its place to keep, you know, chugging along. Well, that's what happened with the heart. When, when the heart died, we, we used what we considered to be the next best thing, um, and that would be our brain. But the thing about your brain is that your brain is an organ of survival, your brain does a lot of things. It's one of the most amazing creations that God ever, uh, you know, designed and, and created. Um, but at the core of what your brain does is it, it's designed to keep you alive, okay? Like it remembers to breathe for you. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I would probably get so busy sometimes I would forget to breathe and just flop over, right? Amen. So there's, I'm being silly about that, but I'm just I'm trying to make the point. So when we try to take an organ that is primarily wired for survival and make it the driving force, am I boring you? I don't want to bore you now. We try to, we try to interject it and, and make it the, the, the driving you know, factor and force uh, in our lives. We see where you know, it may help us survive. You know what most people on planet Earth call survival, don't you? They call it normal. But God created us for something far more than survival. He created us to thrive, not, not just survive. Okay? Now, I'm going to take this one step further because we see that faith is a function of the heart. The Bible says, with the heart man believes. And, and nothing that God has said to you or done for you happens automatically, so to speak, in your life. It's something that we have to receive by faith. Faith receives what grace has already given. Faith receives what grace has already provided, what grace has already done. Amen. So faith is this critical part, right? The just, the ones who have it right, live by faith. We were designed to, led by the Spirit, living by faith. Faith's a function of the heart. Well, when we try to use our brain, faith and the brain don't jihaw. They don't, they, they don't get along, right? Okay. And so you could have paid tithes for 10 years. But if you, if you go with your brain, your brain's going to try to tell you every time, you probably ought to wait to the end of the month to write that check. And we shouldn't, listen, I'm not, this, it's not like cursed brain. No, your brain's just doing its job, right? It, your brain's trying to, through reason and rationale and intelligence and all these other things and experiences and, and, you know, surveying what's going on around us, your brain tries to take all that data and help you make the best decision you can make to, for your survival. But we've got to shift down out of the brain into the heart in order to believe what God said and act upon what God said, again, by faith, not based upon how it looks, seems, or feels in the moment. Amen or oh me? Amen. Okay, all right. Sometimes when things really, you know, things that the Lord has taught me that really helped me, I get, get really excited about teaching them to you. So I hope you got all that because that's, that's some life-changing truth right there. And the reason I know is because it's changed my life uh, to understand that there's these two voices, my, my, my head and my heart, my flesh and my spirit, and uh, being able to recognize and tell the difference between those two voices and to feed my spirit and not, you know, feed my flesh. To, you know, I'm, obviously you've got to eat and drink and water and whatever. I'm not saying that. But, but keep my spirit strong 
Uh, most people starve their spirit and feed their flesh, and they wonder why they have such a hard time doing what God wants them to do. Well, again, we do it by faith. We've got to keep faith fed and active and exercised. Amen? Amen. All right. So alongside all of that then, and let's, let's, again, we're talking about bigger picture stuff here. There, there's this list of things that I believe literally drives life on planet Earth. When I say drives it. I'm talking about life as it functions in the world on planet Earth. Uh, let me say it another way. These are the things that people wake up on planet Earth every morning trying to find. That's what I mean by drives, that people are, are, are searching for these things, trying to find these things, because these are the things, I'll cut to the chase, these are the things that ultimately the things that we lost, the most meaningful things that we lost when we lost our spirit connection with God. And the first one is acceptance. We try to find acceptance. And, and please don't ever, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> underappreciate how important acceptance is to us. I'm not trying to throw anybody into any kind of fit of regret or anything like that, but um, the things that we've done in the past that we are the most ashamed of were more than likely driven by this desire to be accepted. Right? We, we, we compromise. We, we do all kinds of things because we, want, we, we long for... You, you tell me why we long for acceptance? Because we were created to be accepted. Right? And that's why rejection can be so painful. The, the next one is security. People are looking for that sense of security, that sense of safety, that, that um, you know, we, we talked about insecurities that, that people have in their, in their own uh, lives. Bill Johnson said, insecurity is security placed in the wrong thing. Amen. <laughs> Confidence placed in the wrong thing. We try to find our security in something other than or someone other than God. It's always going to lead us back to insecurity. The, um, the, the third one is identity. We're trying to find out who we really are. We, we're trying to understand our true identity. We're trying to understand our true worth, our significance, and then uh, also our purpose. So acceptance, security, identity, significance, purpose. One more time. Acceptance, security, identity, significance, and purpose. These are the things that we absolutely positively must receive from our Creator. We will never have enough acceptance from the world to satisfy our desire for acceptance, our hunger for acceptance. We will never have enough money from this world to, to give us the security that we long for, which is a, it's a security that goes beyond even this life. Amen? Um, our identity. You realize Jesus told us that the world didn't know who he was and they won't know who you are. So why do we keep looking to the world to try to tell us who we are? The world doesn't know who you are. And they don't have that information to give you. And you can ask and you can look. And I'll tell you where the mistake most people make in this is they try to find people they identify with in hopes that those people can give them their identity. But it doesn't work. It's a trick from the enemy. And then your significance, your value, your worth. How many of you know God's not a fool? And a fool pays more for something than it's worth. And when the price for you was his only son, Jesus, he paid it willingly. Amen. That tells me that he sees value and worth in me that I'm still learning to see in myself. But you are very significant. You're a really big deal to God. You're very important to Him. Amen. And then we see this, this search for and this hunger for and understanding of our purpose. 
We've covered that some here already about why am I and, and, and our being created in the image and likeness of God to have fellowship with him and so forth and so on. But these five things, on the surface, they may, you know, almost sound like, you know, some, you know, 200 level psychology class or something. But that, that's, it's way, way more than this. And these are the things that um, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they had in full measure. They, are you following what I'm saying? They, they, because they were receiving these things from God. Amen. But when that connection was lost, it left us trying to compensate for these things. And so now we try to satisfy our desire and our longing for acceptance and security, identity, significance, and purpose in other people and other relationships. Do you realize how many, how many folks are miserable in every relationship they're in because the person that um, they're in a relationship with uh, is not meeting some of these basic needs, and, and they blame the person? But, but here's the thing. There is no man. There is no woman. There is no husband. There is no wife. There is no child that, that can fully satisfy um, our longing for these things. Uh, it's, it's when we ultimately find and receive and know and have these things from our Creator that we're at peace, that we're at rest. Amen? Okay. Now, thank you, Jesus. Let's, um, let's do this. Praise God. Let's, uh, let's jump in here now and let's talk about understanding salvation and the new birth, right? Understanding salvation and the new birth. And we'll take some of the things that we've talked about along the way and already talked about tonight and weave them into this as we finish strong. Amen. Amen. Class number 28. Man, this, I still haven't got over that yet. All right. So understanding salvation and the new birth. One of the things that I want to do for you and we're not going to be able to do it right now because there's some things we've got to put in place first. But, you know, we often say that, you know, we got saved or we received salvation um, or that we got born again. And obviously those are two different ways of referring to a, some would say the same experience. Um, we receive salvation through the new birth. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we were actually saved from. Because if you've been, if you've been saved, it literally means to be rescued. So exactly what is it that Jesus rescued us from? And I know the first answer is kind of obvious. And if I was to ask you, and I'm not going to do you that way because uh, most people would say sin. And, and certainly that's part of it. But sin is is behavior, and our problems went much deeper than behavior. Trust me, we'll, we'll show you that now that we understand spirit, soul, and body. We'll, we're in a better position to, uh, to understand these things. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 and 24 to ask the question, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? In other words, what, who can deliver me? Who, who is qualified to deliver me? Who even understands the problem I have uh, to, to fix it for me. And of course we know, amen, that we have a Savior. I, I just want to remind you tonight, I, I, I get stirred up about this, so I'll try to keep teaching instead of preaching, but, but let's, let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that we have a Savior. And whatever issue of life you may be struggling with, whatever uh, sin that easily ensnares you, uh, whatever confusion, whatever, amen, 
we have a Savior. You know, we, we talk about things in our life as if they can never be resolved or as if they can never be changed or as if they can never be any better or they can never be any different. And that's what the devil tells you. But my friend, we, we have a Savior who came to save us from our mess, who came to save us from our confusion, who came to save us from all the issues and all the problems that we could not correct or fix or change ourselves. Amen. So we were talking about this in a, in a class earlier this week. Church throws around the phrase that God loves um, the sinner but hates the sin. And, and people who think they are their sin don't understand that. But you are not your sin. You are not your behavior. Behavior is something that occurs at the flesh level of your existence. All right? And, and we use the example that if a, if a mean dog is trying to harm someone I love, I can hate the dog and love the person. And that's the way Father looks at sin. He doesn't look at, at, as, at you as your sin. That's what the world does, what the devil wants. Matter of fact, the devil wants to, to label you. He wants to identify you by your sin. He wants you to be called it, right? I'm not even going to give him the, I'm going to give him the satisfaction of saying it, right? But he wants, to, he wants you to be called by your sin. But see, Father doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't see you that way. He sees sin as something that was a threat to you and something that was ultimately a threat to his fellowship and union with you. And he loves you, but he hates sin and what sin does to his children. So who will deliver me from this death? I like this one, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to find you, and He came to save you, right? Search and rescue, anybody? He came to find you, and He came to save you. I don't, I don't have a problem. I'm not trying to bring some heavy hand correction to you, you know, but sometimes we talk about, you know, when I found God, man, I'm so glad I found God. Don't listen to me, brother, sister, okay? He found you. Amen. 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 We sometimes want to take credit for our finding him. Amen. He, he found you. He came looking for you. Amen. And he sought you out and, and thank God other people praying for you and, and different things that, that brought you to that point in time. But, um, you know, uh, I don't, somebody help me with the guy who wrote the song, He Was There All the Time, Waiting Patiently in Line. Do y'all remember that one? Um, oh, it's a beautiful old, old song. But he was there the whole time, amen, just waiting for you and me uh, to, uh, to turn uh, to him, praise God. But trust me, he found you. And so he came to us. He came to us to find us and to rescue us and to save us. What does that say about your worth and value to him compared to Lucifer rebelling against God and becoming separated from God and taking one-third of the angels with him? And we have no record of God ever even asking him if he wanted to work it out or come back. But when we rebelled and sinned and separated ourselves from him, he came to take the blame and the punishment for our wrong and died for us while we were yet sinners without any guarantee any one of us would take him up on his offer. He did it in hope. He did it in faith that we would turn to him and receive 
his invitation uh, to to unload our our burden and unload our sin and be set free from it. He loves you. I'm, I can't say it enough. He loves you. It's the value. It's the significance that you have. And remember, he has more than a hundred year plan for your life. Uh, he he has seen eons of. Of, he's, he's planned a future for you that goes well beyond uh, the first thousand years, amen, of, of your existence. And, and so when we look sometimes at this limited perspective of, of, you know, mistakes that we made, sin that we committed, crazy things that we said and did and just hurt God, all this other stuff, you know, for us that seems like such a huge you know, I, I got a buddy that w- was in heavy, hard addiction for 40 years. You know, he's like, man, how could God ever do anything? I said, are you kidding me? I said, a thousand years from now, you don't even remember those 40 years. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, t- how about 10,000 years from now? Are you, amen. So he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus came to save us. And in order to understand the rescue he provided, we need to understand the dilemma that we were drowning in. And I'm, and I'm using that, that example of like a lifeguard, you know, someone that's, um, you know, in water over their head and they're not a strong swimmer. And so if we were to say that that lifeguard saved that person, then what we're really saying is that they brought them out of that you know, life-threatening situation, they, they saved them or they rescued them from the water, okay? Well, we weren't just drowning. We had already drowned. We were already dead, amen? Uh, and, and yet Jesus came to save us. So to better understand the rescue he's provided, we need to understand the dilemma that we were drowning in or, or, the, or the situation that we had, Sometimes we don't understand God's answers because we don't understand our problem. You know, it, it's kind of like when Nicodemus says to him, God has to be with you or you couldn't do the things that you're doing. And Jesus says, you'll never see unless you're born again. And you're thinking, did Jesus even listen to what the man said? But Jesus is answering a question for Nicodemus that he doesn't know how to ask, right? He's, he's giving him answers to a problem that he doesn't yet even understand. And so many times we, we read these things in, in the scriptures about our salvation and about what God's done for us and righteousness and freedom and, and justification, but we don't really understand what that means to us because we don't understand the problem that we've been saved from, that we've been rescued from, right? Now, our problem or I'll even put an S on it, our problems went much deeper than behavior. So just, let's, walk our, let's just take our time here. Our problems went much deeper than behavior because we know that for every wrong behavior in our lives, there's an underlying errant thought that perpetuates that behavior. God said that your ways are, are not my ways because your thoughts are not my thoughts. You're not, you're not living the way I created you to live because you're not thinking the way I created you to think. God created you to live like He lives, and He created you to think like He thinks. So do you see why it was so significant when, 
all of a sudden, Adam's got thoughts in his heart that didn't come from God. Well, this is going to mess up his life if he holds on to those wrong thoughts. Amen. He's got the wrong programming in, in his computer. He's got a virus in, in his thinking. All right. So to simply say that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that's, that's accurate, but it's not complete. Because sinful behavior is a reflection of, or we could even say an expression of, wrong or errant thinking. So our problems went much deeper than our behavior. And because thinking underlies behavior, but guess what? Our problems also went much deeper than our thinking. They went much deeper than our thinking. You see, Jesus didn't come to only change our bad behavior and wrong thinking. He came to change our nature. This is really important. Jesus came to change your nature. You ask the average person, you've been saved? Yes. What were you saved from? Jesus saved me from my sins. Okay? He did. He did. But the new birth is about more than him saving you from your sins or your sinful behavior. What if I was to tell you that... We actually had a sin nature. It, it had become our nature to sin. It wasn't just something that we did. It was who we were. This is why before we were born again, we sinned by reason of course. It, it was who we are. And I'm not saying that you know, our conscience didn't bother us, but I'm not suggesting you go out and sin tonight to prove this point. But do you, do you remember how it felt to sin before you were saved and how it feels after? Yeah. It's like now that, you know, it's like, man, you can't, can't enjoy it. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's because it's not you anymore. It's, 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 it's not you anymore. You're miserable. When someone who is born again uh, goes and joins the members of Christ, your body, to, to all kinds of, of foul, sinful, wrong things, uh, it grieves the Holy Spirit in you. It grieves the born-again spirit in you. And, and you are a miserable, miserable person. Well, it wasn't like, I'm not saying our conscience didn't bother us before we got saved, but it wasn't like that. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? It wasn't like yes. that. All right. So I'm not, I'm not you know, again, you see what I'm saying? I don't, don't go sin to test this. All right. But I'm just, amen. But you understand what I'm saying. Praise, praise God. All right. So, um, so let's go to Genesis, uh, Genesis John chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6, this is from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We've covered this extensively, but one more time. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Well, um, what part of you... It's going to be pretty obvious, I hope. But get, what part of you was born of water? Anybody? Flesh. Right here. Born of water, right there. When your mama's water broke. Amen? Mm-hmm. Now, I know some folks, and I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong because the Bible is multi-layered wisdom. There's some people who read more into what it means to be born of water than just simply a physical birth. But context, context, context. And the context is the difference between what's been born of the flesh and what's been born of the Spirit. 
and to be born of water, to be, to be born of the flesh, involves the breaking of the, the, the amniotic fluid in the mother's womb, and that is what it means to be physically born. What's, what's Jesus telling Nicodemus? He's telling Nicodemus, you've got to be born a second time. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it because he doesn't understand that, right? <laughs> he, he's like, how can a man, when he is full grown, go back inside his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, no, no, uh, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom. And Nicodemus is just all like, what in the world's going on here? It's because he's looking at everything from either a flesh only or a flesh dominant flesh first position and jesus says no 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 you got to be born of water and of the spirit it's, it's got to be both it's got to be both okay so let me get back up here to my verse most assuredly i say to you unless one is born of water natural physical flesh and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh why is he saying it this way? And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's, he's distinguishing the difference between not just what is flesh and what is spirit, but what is a physical fleshly birth and what is a spiritual birth. All right? So this is one of the most important simple sentences, simple points that you can uh, take away from this evening's uh, time together. Okay? The new birth is a literal experience. It is a literal experience. Literal doesn't mean physical, okay? But it is literal nonetheless. Sometimes we tend to think of spiritual things as like, you know, imaginary or off in a fog bank somewhere or something like that. And, and that's just simply not how spiritual things are, okay? And we've covered this. We talked about the food that was spirit and the drink, the water that was spirit. It, it satisfied their hunger. They put it in their mouth and chewed it up. It was of a different material. Amen. It, was, it, was, it, had a, it had a different origin. Amen. Than something they planted, harvested, developed, grew, cultivated, cooked, that sort of thing. Okay. The manna. So the new birth, which is speaking of your spirit being born a second time, this is a literal experience. All right. Not figurative. You know, what, what is, uh, I get my similes and metaphors and all that uh, sometimes confused, but you understand what I mean by all that, right? It's not like you got born again. You got born again, all right? But not your flesh and not your soul, but your spirit. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Must is a strong word. He didn't say it, um, you know, uh, is, um, would be a good idea or, man, if there's just some way you could go back and be born again, start it all over, dude. You've already made so many mistakes. No, he, he didn't offer it as, you know, some kind of pie in the sky or wishful thinking. He said it was, it was absolutely necessary, okay? And so if Jesus said you must be born again, then we need to ask our question. We need to ask the question, why then? What, what is it? that can only be changed in us um, by being born uh, all over again. What, how, is that the, how is that the solution? You, you, or why is that um, the solution? And if it is the solution, and, and obviously it is, then how did Jesus make it possible? These are some of the basic questions that we need to work our way through if we're going to understand what it means to, be, um, to receive salvation or to be born again. Now, let, 
some of you may be saying, well, man, I was, all this stuff, Pastor Mark, I've never heard any of this. Does that mean I'm not saved? No, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So you call on him from a sincere heart. He's made it contrary to what a lot of people say. And I know I'll make some people mad when I, when I even say it this way. But there are people who say you've got to tarry and you've got to prove to God you're serious and you've got to show him that you mean it. And if you, No, 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 no. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. You know, you know why he's made it uh, so easy for you to get saved? Uh, first of all, it's because Jesus did all the heavy lifting. But it's because he wants you to be saved. <laughs> he could have made it hard. If he'd asked you to remember what, what the servant said to uh, um, uh, Naaman, you know, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it. Amen. Well, this is call out to the Lord from a sincere heart, and you will be saved. Now, once you're saved, we gotta we gotta shift into discipleship mode. We got some things to learn. Come to me, all you labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So there's a lot of people who are born again that still aren't experiencing and, and enjoying and expressing all the things that are true about them right now, but that doesn't mean they're not saved. doesn't mean they're not born again. And we'll explain that in greater detail if you've been taught somewhat different from that. We'll, I'll show it to you in the Scripture, not just my opinions, okay? So the new birth is a literal experience. It's something that has literally happened in your innermost being, all right? Now, this next section uh, is entitled... Saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. Okay, that's a, big, that's a big statement right there. Saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 17. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 17. Amen. We're going to look at, uh, I don't know, six or seven verses here. So um, let's, uh, let's turn there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's good to be free. Amen? Amen? It's good to be free. It's good to know that we're free. Thank you, Father. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 17. It says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And that doesn't mean to be afraid. It means a, res a deep respect for God. Knowing that you were not redeemed. Redeemed is a salvation word. It refers to the price that was paid for you. You were not redeemed. You were not purchased with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Now, I'll come back and point this out, but let me maybe just be better to do it as I go along. So there's a lot of words here, but I want you to notice that the first thing he's talking about is being redeemed from our aimless conduct. And notice it was received from our fathers, meaning this is something that was passed down to you and me. I don't think we're going to get there tonight, but I'm really, really excited about explaining to you why it was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it is not your obedience that makes you righteous. Okay, And that's a key, key truth in all of this, that basically the entire chapter 5 of the book of Romans is devoted to. And if you'll notice, in a minute we're going to look at some verses that talk about us being uh, sons of disobedience. 
and children of wrath. Because what he's emphasizing here is that it, it, although we've sinned, not saying that we haven't, but what corrupted our nature was not our sin. It was Adam's sin. And we were born from Adam's corrupted seed, which is why we were all born into sin. Okay? So do you see now why we got to be born again from a different seed? Okay? So knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. He goes, look, you got to know this. A very high price was paid for you, and it wasn't gold. It wasn't silver. It wasn't... It wasn't uh, oil, it wasn't stock options, it wasn't even planets. It, are you following what I'm saying? I mean, God's got enough planets out there. He could have he tried to pay for you with planets. No, no. Those are corruptible things. But we've been redeemed from the aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers. But what were we redeemed with? We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot because he was without sin. Verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, this is, this is an amazing thought captured in verse number 20, and I like to point it out anytime I, I, I come across a verse that mentions this in the Bible. And that is, Jesus decided to pay the price for your sin and for my sin before Adam ever existed to commit a sin. He's a lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were discussing their plans for creating you and me to bring us into uh, fellowship with them, therefore creating us comparable to themselves so that we could be comparable, so that we could be compatible with them, comparable so we could be compatible with them, okay? Free will meant there was uh, going to be a sin committed, which meant there was going to have to be a price paid. And Jesus said, go ahead and commit them like, go ahead and, and create them like that, Father, and, and I'll, I'll fix it later. I'll do it later. I mean, that's, that's the love that he, he had for you. You know, we, we sometimes think, you know, Jesus died for my sin and your sin before we ever lived on planet earth to commit a sin you know and and so we talk about him forgiving us for sins that we haven't committed yet and think how could he forgive me for future sin all your sin was future when he paid for it are you, are you with me yeah. he he paid for your sin before you ever lived on this planet to commit one he had already took the blame and the punishment for it. Man, it's the love of God, okay? So he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, revealed, brought forth in these last times for you, who through him, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls... Okay, so we've talked about the outward behavior. Now, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been, verse 23, having been born again, 
not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. All right, so let's put the drawing up one more time. In these verses, he mentioned aimless conduct, purifying your souls, born again of an incorruptible seed. Anybody see what, what, what are those tests? I used to really like these tests at school, right, where we had the word bank, you know, and you, you did the matching, you know what I'm saying? And uh, unless the teacher put more matches than you had words to match them to. Like, why'd you, you know? But anyway, process of elimination. Okay. So if aimless conduct refers to our body and purifying our soul, what a hint there, right? <laughs> Applies to our soul. Then born again of an incorruptible seed obviously uh, parallels with our spirit. Okay. So this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, is such a critical passage if we're going to understand the new birth. He says we've been born again, which we see Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. But here, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, is expounding upon this truth uh, uh, further for us. And here we see that not only is being born again a literal experience, that it also involves a literal seed. Because when we were born the first time, we were born from a physical seed. Now, the second time, we're being born again of also a seed. But this seed that we're born again the second time from is an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God that lives and abides forever. Okay? So when you were born again, your spirit was born a second time. And this time, it was not born as it was the first time. The first time, it was born from the corrupted seed of Adam. The second time you were born, you were born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay, you still with me? Yes. Now, let's, let's try to break this down. Thank you, Jesus. I, mm. All right, let's, let's do this. All right, we'll do it. Stay with the notes. Amen. So, we were all born from corrupted seed. If you have received salvation, you've been born again from an incorruptible seed which lives forever. Because the seed lives forever, guess what that means about you? You live forever. Seed reproduces after its own kind. Amen. So when we say Jesus came to save us or He came to rescue us, He didn't just come to save us from our behavior, our sinful behavior. He didn't just come to save us from our wrong thinking. He came to save us from a corrupted nature. And, and we had a corrupted nature because we were born from the corrupted seed of Adam. You must be born again. Are you, are you, are you seeing this tonight? Okay. So the new birth then is a literal experience and is the only way to change our nature. The new birth is a literal experience and it's the only way to change our nature. Now, while, while we're here, incorruptible, probably pretty clear, but let's make sure we understand what incorruptible means. Incorruptible means it's not capable of being corrupted. Adam's seed was capable of being corrupted. It was corrupted by Adam's sin. And because Adam's seed was corrupted by Adam's sin, and we were all, watch this now, this is going to, we, we stretch a little bit, okay? 
We were all in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. We were in Adam. How were we in Adam? We were in his body in seed form. This is heavy now. We've got a whole section of understanding the new birth that just deals with the power of seed. Amen. And we'll get to there probably next week. Just stay with me, all right? We were all in Adam in seed form when Adam sinned. What does this mean? This means when Adam sinned, you sinned with him because you were in him. So do you see now why all of these verses in the New Testament that speak of you being in Christ... Do you see why Romans identifies Jesus as the last Adam? That we were in the first Adam, but now through the new birth, we're in the last Adam. We're no longer in Adam, but we're now in Christ. Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay. So incorruptible then means not capable of being corrupted. If something is incorruptible, it's, we might say it this way, just using, you know, plain old you know, English language. It's bulletproof. It, 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 it can't be corrupted. Now, I know some of you weren't here last week, so, so let's go back. In, in 1 John chapter 1, in 1 John chapter 1, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John says that if you say you have no sin, the truth's not in you. Okay? But then he says in 1 John 3, 9, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Yeah, really quiet right there. I didn't get as many amens from that one as I got from the first one, see? No, and I'm not, listen, I'm not picking on you. I don't, I don't know who said amen, so I'm just trying to show you, okay? Because we should amen if you say you have no sin, the truth's not in you, okay? But I got, I got four or five of you said amen, amen, yeah, you know, we got sin, right? But then I say, if you've been born of God, His seed remains in you and you cannot sin. And you all look like, okay, that verse must not mean that because... All right, so spirit, soul, and body will serve us well here, right? If you say, notice I'm pointing to the body, right? If you say you never do anything wrong, if you say you never commit a sin, remember sin now is to know to do right and not do it. It's not just to break a commandment, okay? If you say that you never do anything wrong and get everything right every single time, here you're not telling the truth, all right? But, come on now, if you've been born of God... His seed, which is incorruptible, abides in you, and you don't sin because you can't sin. All right, now let's let's get something straight, okay? Yes, ma'am. So last week, your thinking has to catch up with your spirit. It does. But that, that was a real nugget I took. So I'm already communing with God, but then my, my thinking has to catch up with that. So that was kind of what... Yeah, I've still been living with the fact that I'm a spirit that lives in a body. See, I'm, I'm the body. That had a spirit lived in me. Thinking that's all wrong, you know, because now I know why it's so important to make sure your spirit is strengthened and held up 
It's the ruler that it can rule this body, this temporary thing. Yes. Now this is where, and I'll be honest with you, okay, and y'all are free to do it as well. There are people who disagree with me on this. But the concept of, okay, okay let's, see if I, let's see if I can do it this way. Jesus came to live in us. Babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Or resurrected, glorified Jesus came to live in us. Which one? Resurrected, glorified Jesus came in us. All right. Became one with us right there. So what's weak about it? Yeah. Right. We experience weakness here because we perceive it here. Right. Remember, this part of you right now is ready to walk on water and raise the dead. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we stand face to face with Jesus. And, and there's, if you, sister, and for that matter, anybody that's listening to me right now is born again. If, if I could, if you could step out of my body right now and stand in front of you, you'd be looking at Jesus. Because my spirit was born of him. Yeah. was born of his seed. Doesn't take people long to figure out who my daddy is in this church because I look a lot like him. He retired from the courthouse and sometimes I go in there, buy a tag or something, you know, and the deputies at, at the, my daddy's been retired for 20 something years. I'll, I'll go to the, to the uh, you know, go through the metal detectors and all that and one of them the other day, or I spent a couple years ago now, not the other day, but he looked at me and said, David, is that you? I'm like, no, that's my daddy, right? And we, I was born of his seed, right? I mean, just the hair, right? I'm born of his seed. Okay. So seed reproduces after its kind. We were born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Who's the Word of God? Who's the Word made flesh? It's Jesus, right? What did the Holy Spirit put in the womb of the Virgin Mary? The Word of God. And her body didn't reject it as a foreign substance. But she conceived him, right? And gave birth to him. Amen. Is that why they were renamed? It, signifying who, who God wanted them to be instead of who they were, right? Because he took Simon meant what? Uh, waffler? <laughs> A reed in the wind? I forget what Simon meant. Um, I may be completely wrong on that. And he named him a rock, right? Rock. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am, you're on it. You're on it. Great question. Now, see, see, there are people, watch this now. See, there, there are folks who say, and we, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we need to, let's just come back to it, all right? The body of Christ sings amazing grace, but most of them need to change it to rational grace because the moment God's grace goes beyond what they think it ought to be, they, they drop out, right? Now, let, 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 let me make something clear, and I'm going to say this more than once throughout the next, what, we've got seven more classes after this, Okay. I didn't ask for this. What do you what I mean by this? I, I didn't say, look, <clears throat> God, I, I, gotta, I understand you have an interest in saving me. Um, and I, 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 would, I would be interested in entertaining that idea. <laughs> but only if you fix it where my spirit can't sin. In other words, if, 
If you're not going to make me your heir and a joint heir with Jesus, then don't, don't bother, God, because those are deal breakers for me. I didn't negotiate this deal for myself. I did not decide this. I did not choose this. I did not demand this. I did not say if, if, if me and you are going to get back together and be one, then I got some demands and you better meet them and, and we're going to negotiate this thing out and, and this is how it's going to have to be and I want eternal life now. Uh, and I want, I, want my, uh, I want to be saved to the uttermost, and I want eternal redemption, and I want Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Uh, and, and see, not, none of that. I, I didn't ask for any of that. I didn't require any of that. I didn't demand any of that. Every bit of this, just like, remember, Abraham entered into a covenant with God. What happened right before the covenant was made, right before Abraham walked through the ankle-deep blood to make the covenant? He fell sound asleep, and Jesus made the covenant with God as his covenant representative on Abraham's behalf. And then it came time for a new covenant for you and me to have a covenant with God. And Jesus said, let me do this for y'all, please. And he steps in and he, as our covenant representative, creates and makes and ratifies with his own blood and his own life an eternal covenant. It's not a temporary covenant. The first one was, was temporary. The one we have right now is eternal. And what we have under this covenant is what we will have a thousand years from now walking on streets of gold. It will not have to be changed one bit to accommodate life in heaven. And we have this right, and this is why we can pray. Come kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. There's nothing that will be available to you as, as far as spiritual benefits and what have you in heaven one day that's not already available to you right now. And I didn't negotiate that deal for me. Jesus did that for me. And He did it for you. Now people say, I shouldn't tell anybody, especially somebody that struggled with addiction in the past, these kinds of things because it'll give them an excuse to sin. That's, that's hogwash. The Bible doesn't teach that. We've never needed an excuse to sin. But the Bible makes it very clear in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We'll get there. I don't have this right in front of me tonight, okay? That the grace of God is what teaches us to live righteously and soberly and uprightly in this present evil age. It's the understanding, the love that God has for you that motivates you to purify your life, even as Christ is pure. 1 John chapter 3. Amen. See, pastors feel like they've got to use guilt and shame and fear and condemnation to try to motivate us to walk that aisle six times. None of those things are in our toolbox. Jesus came to set us free from fear and guilt and shame and condemnation. So who would I be to stand here in front of you representing Him, trying to scare you and shame you and guilt you and condemn you into somehow trying by your own efforts to live the life He created you to live. He goes on to say through the Apostle Paul that when we understand the full dimension of His love for us, that we will be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's put it back, let's put it back on the screen, right? you got the fullness of God right here, right now. Christ in you, the confident expectation of everything God is and everything that God has. But it's when we begin to understand more than anything else who He is and the love that He has for us and our minds 
start to come into agreement and alignment with that, it allows all these new birth realities, inward realities of new birth, to flow outwardly into our life experience. See, God created you to live right. He created you to live right. He created you to do good and to be good, to act right, to behave. He all those things are very important to Him. But this is what He knew. This is what He knew. That the only way you would ever live right is if He just went ahead and made you right. See, I, I, was, I heard so many sermons being raised in church. I heard, I heard so many sermons that went something like this. You're a sinner. You, you, you've never been anything but a sinner. You've sinned this week. Don't try to hide it. Um, now come down here and pray and then go out and try to do better. Most of the sermons I heard, were, they were telling me to live in opposition to who I really was. They told me I was a sinner and I needed to go and live like a saint. They told me I was not righteous, but I needed to go and try to do righteous and be righteous. They were telling me to live in contradiction to who I was. And that'll never work. So this is what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay the price and I'm going to, anybody who comes to me, I'm going to make them righteous. And I'm going to make them free. And then if they'll let me teach them, I'll show them how to live out the righteousness and how to live out the freedom and how to live out the prosperity and how to live out the blessing and how to live out the healing that I've already given them. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to freak you out, but we're going to get on with this stuff. We might as well get on with it. The Bible, Jesus asked the Father, let me back up for a minute. Every miracle Jesus performed on this earth was a manifestation of the glory of God that was given to him. Turn the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. The Bible says this was that he manifested forth the glory of God. Though, and I'm not making this up. The original language literally is the, the opening of a can. It's the removal of a lid. He took the lid off. And the glory that was in him was released forth from him and began to, to work in people's lives in this earth. John chapter 17. You know what Jesus asked the Father? The glory, Father, that you've given to me, I pray that you would give it to every one of them. And so we see in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we now have this treasure in an earthen vessel. What is that treasure? The very glory of God that performed every miracle that Jesus performed on this earth as a man. So do you see why Jesus, he wasn't being like outlandish in John 14 when he said, the works that I did, you will do also, and even greater works than these because I go to my Father. Let's go back to the drawing. Yes, ma'am. Because all have sinned and fallen short of what? <laughs> all right. Ooh, I like teaching people who, who, are, who are dialed in here. Thank you for that. Okay, all right. I was going somewhere. What, what was I talking about? The glory of God. Jesus said you will perform works. You will perform greater works than me. You will go back to the So you see the treasure in the earthen vessel. That's the earthen vessel. That's the container. This is the treasure. Right? Right? The earth suit. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, no man puts new wine 
And he said that when, because he left the Pharisees scratching their head, right? Because if you, if the context of that, the context of that was the Pharisees were like, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus says, we're having a good time right now. The bridegroom's with them. He said, but when I'm not with them anymore, they'll fast because no man puts new wine into an old wineskin. What is he saying? He said, we've got to keep that body under subjection because the very glory of God, a treasure is going to be put in that earthen vessel. And so fasting is one of the ways we keep that earthen vessel in check, right? We deny it. We have to every now and then tap its brakes and let it know it's not the boss. And keep acting up and we'll, we'll take more than chocolate cake away from you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, praise God. Oh, sweet Jesus. What? It's 643. Are you kidding me? Anybody know it was that late besides me just now? Okay. I didn't either. Yes. All right. Amen. So let's go back to it now. <laughs> Whoever has been born of God does not sin. See, you just read that part and you're like, well, I mean, try not to, but... Now see, again, now he's done shifted. He said, in your flesh, if you say you don't sin, you've you got some work to do there. Because remember, you're a perfect work in progress. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You, you can't... I need three screens. You, you can't... Perfected forever, those who are being sanctified, right? So you can't, you can't be in need of, of growth and development and still not have issues here. Amen? Amen. I mean, hopefully, hopefully you've, you know, so I, I, I hear different people over the years, you know, that I've had the honor and privilege to work with. They say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I'm still rough around the edges. And I'm not wanting to judge them. I'm like, but, you know, dude, you've been saying that for 35 years. <laughs> At some point, you know, we're just using that as an excuse for being rude. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, look, you know, when you, know, when you were, you know, been born again two or three years, you could say, well, you know, I'm rough around the edges. But come on, dude, it's about time for you to let the Holy Spirit take some of the edges off of you. So just, just chewing everybody up and spitting them out, leaving them laying in the floor, right? Okay, amen. But again, rough edges, amen. But not here. Perfected forever. And here's the key, right? His seed abides in you. Amen. And because His seed abides in you, the incorruptible seed, remember, see, if it's incorruptible, it can't be corrupted. Because His incorruptible seed abides in you, you don't sin because you can't. You'll never understand this if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body. So the only way... Here's where we're going to be next week, okay? The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. You can't, you, this is why you must be born again, right? We didn't just have a behavior problem. We didn't just have a thinking problem. We had a nature problem. Our nature was a sin nature, corrupted. And, and there's, there ain't nothing we can do to change that. Only way to change the nature of a thing is for that thing to be born a second time of a different seed. Amen. So the problem Jesus came to solve for us goes all the way down to the seed that produced us. You see this. He didn't, he didn't just come put a Band-Aid on us. 
He didn't just come and say, okay, all right, now I forget, I've forgiven you now, so just go, just, just go and try not to do that anymore. No, no, he went all the way down and then put his seed in you. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for saving us, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you for the word that you've inspired and have preserved and we have available to us now, the Holy Word of God. And now you're our teacher helping us understand what really happened to us, what, what really is true about us now because we've been born again. That we're no longer in Adam, we're in Christ. And now, Father, everything the Bible says about someone who's in Christ is true about us now. Not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because we've received it by faith. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great rest of your evening. Blessings, blessings. But if you have questions, great comments, great questions. If you have questions, comments, jot them down. We'll get to them before class next week. Or you can ask me when you see me Monday or Tuesday. Um, love you. Good things coming.